Tyler. I'm Kelly. And I'm Brandy. And you are listening to the infamous podcast, Bitch, I'm Not Well, where we discuss bitches who are truly unwell. unwell. talk about Judith Ann Neely, a.k.a. Lady Sundown. Stripper? No. Murderer. That's unfortunate. Yes. It very, My expectation very so. level just went meow. I know. It's going to go down even further, I think. <sighs> Great. Judith Ann Neely and her husband, Alvin Neely, were George's Bonnie and Clyde, although they referred to themselves as Bonnie and Claude. Seriously, yes. they were like the knockoff version, <laughs> like Surefine brand. I don't want to pay full price, so I'm going to take Boney and Claude. Yes. What the fuck? Bonnie and Clyde were already taken, you know. Idiots. They couldn't come yeah. up with their own names. They weren't creative enough. Well, I don't know. They put a little creative twist on Bonnie and Clyde, so. Eh. Yeah, I, get, I mean, I guess they attempted it. All right. Well, if you didn't guess. Their names were a knockoff joke <laughs> about their resemblance to the bank robbing outlaws. Uh, the two kidnapped, tortured, and murdered 13-year-old Lisa Ann Milliken and 26-year-old Janice K. Chapman. They also shot Janice's boyfriend in the back and attempted a third abduction in their one-year reign of terror. They were busy yeah. in one year. In one year? Oh, one I, year. I didn't even catch that. I'm glad you repeated it. Yeah. it's a lot for one year. A single year. So, a little bit of background. Judith Ann Adams was born in Murfreesboro, Tennessee on June 7th, 1964. She was the middle child of five children. Ooh, that's a lot of children. It's a lot of children. Uh, she had a pretty normal life. Her mother was a housewife. Her father was a construction worker and a carpenter. They weren't considered to be poor, but they lived their lives with necessities only. In 1973, her father started his own construction company, and it must have been successful since that was uh, Judith's favorite Christmas. Her father gave her a baby doll and a little red keyboard piano. Oh, that's awesome. Entrepreneur. Yes. Was able to splurge a little (laughs) on the family. That's nice. Those two toys became her prized possessions, and she never parted from them. However, in March of 1974, her world changed forever. Only three months after Christmas, her father was killed in a motorcycle accident. Oh, damn. No wonder those were her favorite possessions. They were probably the last thing her dad gave her. I know. That's really sad. sad. It's sad. So, he'd been drinking. He hit a guardrail. Yeah, probably shouldn't drink and ride a motorcycle. You shouldn't drink and ride anything. That's true. Not even a horse. I think you can get pulled over and get a ticket for that. (laughs) I really do. Yes. I could be wrong. Somebody (laughs) tell me if I'm wrong on that. But I feel like... You can't drive anything when you're drinking. I know you can get, not from experience, but you can get pulled over in a ticket if you're drunk and driving a lawnmower on the road. Oh, I think I saw a video about that. I think you're right. It probably didn't help that the guy had a bunch of like Bud Light cases at the bottom. Probably didn't help. He was probably popping them tops like he was mowing grass. I don't know. Oh my God. So, 
Anyway, Judith was very close to her father, and obviously this devastated her and triggered the downward spiral as life as she knew it. Oh, man. Yeah, it was not good after that. So after her father's death, her mother had to take a factory job to support the five kids. Um, she had a small pension in her factory job, but she could no longer afford to live where they were. So she purchased a double-wide trailer and had it moved on eight acres owned by her late husband. She was really struggling to make ends meet. She became depressed and started drinking pretty heavily, which then led to more problems. You don't say. Yeah, it usually does. Yeah, I mean, that's a big difference going from being a stay-at-home mom to watching the five kids to a single parent having to work with five kids. Like, Mm -hmm. it's got to be a big adjustment for all of them. Absolutely. But get this. She went super drastic. Like, she was skipping over the easy shit. Like, oh, oh I forgot to pick my kid up from school because I was drinking. Like, she picked up an extra kid and started having a relationship with a teenage boy. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, probably went to school with Judith. So, like, in economics class, hey, what's the answer to be? By the way, did you have sex with my mom last night? Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> kind of like that. Yeah. Oh, my God. I think. <laughs> So, Judith did not know about this relationship until her mother and the boy were involved in a car accident. And uh, her mother was arrested and charged with contributing to the delinquency of a minor. And Judith was outraged and humiliated. Oh, my God. I guess so. (laughs) I know. She probably tried to go to homecoming with that guy, and he turned her down for her mom. (laughs) Mm. Her mama must have been a MILF. Oh, yeah. Yes. So after the incident, Judith's mother stopped working altogether and started drinking even more heavily, leaving Judith and her siblings to take care of the house and fend for themselves. Her older brother and sister started skipping school to sit around the house, drink beer, watch TV, I guess. Well, mom must have been a role model. Like you would think if that's what you have to look forward to, you'd be like, okay, I'm never drinking again. I'm going to finish school. I'm going to get a job. No, I'm going to quit and drink like my well, mama. That, yes, that is what Judith wanted. Like, she wanted more out of life. Oh, good. And she even wanted to become a nurse. She was a good student. She made the honor roll. She was an active member of 4-H, Future Homemakers of America. And when she was in the eighth grade, she became a cheerleader, which she was very proud of. Wow, she was getting it. She was getting That's it. That's a really good, like, achievements for somebody who's parents were not there yeah there's no leadership no guidance maybe she had a teacher that she really liked or something that yeah there had to be somebody looking out for hopefully yeah so when she was 15 though her mother then installed a cb radio in the trailer going by the handle indian princess what i don't know was she actually native american i did read somewhere that she had some Indian heritage, but I don't know if that was just... That was only one article that, out of all the research that I did. I don't know if that's accurate or not. What if she was, like, blonde-haired, blue-eyed? That'd be very misleading name. You expect to go in there and have, like, nice, dark black hair, dark brown eyes, and then you see... High cheek Freaking Barbie over there. Yeah. Like, okay, you are not an Indian princess. That was not what I was picturing. Oh, no. I'm no. out. Sorry. Mm-mm. With this CB radio... She contacted truck drivers, basically anyone that was in the vicinity that could catch her radio waves. (laughs) And before long, a steady stream of men would come and go for sexual trysts at all hours of the days and night. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Was she at least getting paid for this? Don't know. 
I feel like she wasn't. I just have a feeling she's not a very good business person. To do that, she could have. Yeah. She could have run her own books Taking and everything. Taking money at the door, at least be the bouncer. My gosh, yes, I know, right? Her mama was pretty rotten. Sounds like it. Judith stayed in the same bedroom with her mother, and the only thing separating their rooms was a thin sheet. Here was Oof. little fifteen-year-old Judith being exposed to all of these men coming in and out of their house. And having these sexcapades with her mother, and... That's so gross. That's I, something a, a child should never hear. Man, if she was mad at her mom, she could be like, he's faking it. She's faking <laughs> it. I hear it. <laughs> she was talking shit about you last week. <laughs> um, I know her sounds, Bubba, and that wasn't getting it. Yeah, that wasn't real. She's she's not really enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> Poor baby. <laughs> So she would take long walks in the woods to avoid any contact with the men or her mother. And she became bitter and disgusted by her mother's actions. So You can't blame her for that one. Mm-hmm. She always called her family the loser family. Pretty That's sad. pretty sad. Yeah. I mean, the kids really didn't seem to have a chance. So one night, a man named Alvin Neely showed up to their house with a friend who was, quote, visiting, unquote, her mother. Alvin Neely was born in Tryon, Georgia, July 15th, 1953. Cool. How much older was he than her? 11 years. Wow. Okay. That's I mean, a lot. she was only 15, so. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tryon was a quaint village in the mountainous northwestern corner of Georgia. Alvin's days as a boy were filled with hunting, fishing, swimming, going to Boy Scout meetings, and church. Sounds like he had a pretty stable family. He really did. He much was, different than Judith. Oh, yeah, definitely much different. He was the youngest of three kids, considered to be the pet of the family. He was described as a joker with a charming smile that could light up a room. Oh, they, Al. They always say that about people. If I ever have something written about me, I know that's not going to be one thing that they say about no, me. No, they're going to say, that bitch had a resting bitch face. Yes. We thought she hated everybody. We, <laughs> we, were, we were pretty go- good with that. Like, that's what we were going with. She seemed like it. No, but I have seen pictures of Alvin, and he does look like a, just a very jolly, happy little guy, you know. Well, hmm. he wasn't little, but a very happy person. Alvin's lifelong dream was to join the Navy, but when he applied, they found a heart murmur, and he was rejected. This was a huge blow to Alvin, and he started down a road of crime, stealing cars. He was caught and served two years in jail. That sucks. It does. I know. I wonder, is that something that you would still not be accepted to the military for now, heart murmur, or is that like... I know I had an uncle that had it, and he didn't get it fixed until he was like in his 50s, but Mm -hmm. he... I don't know. I, I think they, I mean, if you have any kind of defect. I'm defective. Well, don't try to join the military. <laughs> <laughs> so Alvin was 26 years old when he pulled up in Judith's driveway and saw her outside. Now remember, she's 15. He's 26. Ew. So Judith wasn't considered a beauty. She had buck teeth and... A large stature with big bones, standing at 5'10", but Alvin was immediately love-struck. God, I hope that's not how she described herself on Tinder. <laughs> they didn't have Tinder back then. <laughs> they didn't even have computers back then. That's true. <laughs> so no worries. Okay. We're good. No buck teeth, big bones. If you like buck teeth and big bones... You I'm the old me. bitch. Hit me up, boo. H-M-U. 
Yeah, that wasn't how it was. <laughs> he thought she looked like a model and loved her long black hair. Maybe that was the Indian in her. Maybe so. Okay. She did have brown eyes and high cheekbones. and I don't know. So she might have actually been a descendant of Native Americans. Yes. Okay. Makes so her mom's not a complete asshole. She for might that be name. a total liar. Yeah. We don't know. We're That's not going to give her any credit because yeah. she failed. She failed in life at raising her children. She failed immensely. After hours of talking while Alvin's friend was visiting her mother... I guess he wasn't a one-pump chump. No, I think he left. I think he went for the he went for the marathon. Damn. I don't know. So Alvin confessed to Judith that he had a wife named Joanne Browning and three kids. Uh huh. And Judith continued to speak with him. Didn't phase her at all. Oh wow. She liked the way he made her feel like an adult. She liked that he was clean. He smelled nice, and she was captured by his charming smile. Yeah, she's fifteen. You're not an adult. Y'all, at one point, I was captured by a charming smile, and it turned into a nightmare as well. So, don't ever do it. Don't go there. Yeah, you can't really go for Mm-mm. the charming smile. Mm-mm. It's got to be a little more substance to it. Yes. A lot more substance. A lot more. <laughs> the two became quickly obsessed with each other, and Alvin sought a divorce so that he and Judith could get married. Can you get married at 15 in Georgia? No. Okay. So, they waited. But he wanted his divorce done and over with. Like, he he was just obsessed with Judith. At, in fact, at the beginning of her sophomore year, she was still 15, and they decided to run away together. Oh, I'm and guessing she didn't drive since she's only 15 and probably didn't have a driver's she license. She didn't have a license, so Elvin right. sped off just leaving a nasty note for her mom, like, bye, bitch, I'm gone. <laughs> you can take the sheet down now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Your room just got bigger. Yes. <laughs> the mom was probably excited. Like, oh, my God, my room just doubled. Yes. I can have, have be... a sex bed and a sleeping bed now. Yes. I don't have to be strapped or confined to this damn sex bed. <laughs> I can have sex everywhere now. <laughs> Judith and Alvin lived with Alvin's parents for a while. Then they moved to Rome, Georgia, where Alvin worked at a convenience store for a brief stint. And the reason it was brief was because he stole money from the employer. Man, she picked a winner. Well. She is moving up in life. I know. For somebody that had such big dreams, you know? Yeah, you'd think she'd look for a little bit more in a husband. Mm. Or a lot more in a husband. A lot more. Maybe any type of achievement in a husband besides I'm a thief. Yeah. Who divorced my wife and got rid of three kids. I don't like him. I'm really not liking him right now. Oh, I don't like him either. Oh, I really don't like him. Just wait. You're going to hate him even more. Oh, God. Like I said, Alvin stole money, then they disappeared. They went to North Alabama, then back to Georgia. And this kind of became their normal way of life, like getting jobs at convenience stores and small markets, stealing from them, moving on. I guess there was no previous employment checks. (laughs) No, I doubt it. (laughs) Yeah, so was Alvin a great worker? Um, Yeah, wonderful. Can you ask him to give me my 10 grand back? (laughs) (laughs) It probably wasn't that much. Probably not. Not Can you give me the $25 back? Yeah. It was me $642.13. And a tank of gas. <gasps> Didn't think about that. Yeah. That's serious business right now. Yeah. Tank of gas. When Judith turned 16, Aww. they were married in Ringgold, Georgia. I guess so, at 16, it's allowed in Georgia. Right. And that was on July 14th, 1980. Alvin was 27. Yeah, there's no way I could be married at 16. I couldn't mm-hmm. even wake up to go to school by myself. Mm-hmm. 
I had cereal in my bowl waiting for me when I was 17. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Where's my ego? Sometimes even 18. <laughs> Lego my ego. <laughs> I know. So they continued moving around from Texas to Florida. They stayed with relatives. They forged money orders to get by. They would go buy mailboxes and they would steal like checks, money orders, and then go cash them. And this is how they were making their living. I wonder how many mailboxes they had to look in to find them. Back then, though, you know, we didn't have direct deposit or anything, so... So there's probably a lot more checks flying around in the mail. Yeah. Because like, I know right now, if I would go open, like, 50 mailboxes, I maybe would get, like, one check for $6. You're getting $6. marketing shit. You're not getting Yeah, I'm not getting anything else. fun. This is it. Well, I might get a good magazine. You're but. getting a Kroger ad. Yeah. Some kind of marketing flyer. The only marketing flyers I get excited about is when Target sends their toy book out. Oh, yeah. I do like those. Everything else I just like throw in the trash. Dang it. Dang it. I'm really bad about opening my mail that I think is junk mail. I had one letter one time and I ripped it in half. There was a $20 bill inside. <laughs> what? Yes. It was some marketing thing and it was like it was really? like a legit $20. A legit $20 yes. Bill. But it was like you could earn this by signing people but kind of sound like an mlm yes but i was like man you sent me 20 bucks so Did i tape tape it yes i taped it back together and i went and deposited it good girl <laughs> thank you good girl <laughs> thank you <laughs> oh my god so like i was saying that they were forging the money orders which kind of felt like robbery to them and i mean it was robbery but it wasn't like holding up a bank or anything yes. but this is when they started calling themselves bony and clawed after yeah, I mean, I can see that's extreme knockoff. Like, they were bank robbers. You're yeah. robbing a mailbox right. that may or may not have anything in it. Right, you're the generic. You were very generic. Okay. I wouldn't buy you. You don't even seem like you have the same ingredients. Sitting on the shelf collecting dust. So they were finally <laughs> arrested in Rome, Georgia, when Judith robbed a woman at gunpoint at the Riverbend Mall. She was eight months pregnant with twins at the time. <laughs> but is she going to run? Like She's going to waddle. <laughs> You're eight months pregnant with twins, and yes. you're going to rob and someone? And then you attempt that. That's some balls. Yeah. If I was so a woman, I think Alvin, I'd look at her like she's stupid. I know, but she was so bright, though. She really was. I mean, straight A's and all that other stuff. Like, why? Alvin brought her down. He did bring her down, I think. He did have several outstanding warrants, so he was also picked up. Um, Alvin was sentenced to five years in jail, and Judith was sentenced to one year at Rome, Georgia's youth development since she was under the age of 18. She still wasn't even an adult? Pregnant with twins. Oh, my God. I was thinking she was, like, 20s. And sent to a youth development. God, Uh, I can't even. So she gave birth to the twins there, and their names were Jeremy and April on November 10th, 1981. The babies were sent to live with Alvin's parents until Judith's release. My God, they should not give those babies back to her. They do. They shouldn't. They did. While Judith was at the youth center, she and Alvin would write each other constantly. And at first, like, the letters were really provocative and sexual. Were they like, ooh, I can't wait to see you unlace your corset. Is that how they dressed in the 70s? Fun. I like yes. it. And you're going to take off your bow tie, Alvin, and your top hat. Your bow tie and your top hat. <laughs> this is bony and clawed. Oh, man. They started to become jealous of each other, accusing one another of sleeping with others while incarcerated. Now, I'm going to say <laughs> that where Judith was, there were, I think there were boys there. Oh, okay. Um, 
where Alvin was, I'm hoping that she's just accusing him of sleeping with, like, the guards. Okay, I was thinking Alvin was somebody's bitch. And not inmates. Yeah, um, I was definitely I don't know. I didn't get to see any of these letters, so I'm not really sure what all they contained. Yeah, I don't know. Must have been Alvin's stunning smile that lit up the jailhouse when he walked out of his cell. Must be that charming smile. Must be. Gets him in trouble every time. <sighs> Drop him, Alvin. Yes. So Judith started claiming that she and other girls were being sexually abused by employees of the YDC. That's the youth um, center. Of course, all of these allegations were denied by the YDC, and they stated that it was likely she was telling him these things to just flare him up, which did. So she was lying or she wasn't lying? Like, we're not really sure. They never really looked into it. They denied it. I I think they did look into it. They they said that they never found any evidence of it, or maybe they questioned other girls and couldn't find anybody that said, yes, this is happening. Okay. Probable that what she stated was just like they said, just to flare him up, get him angry. I'm surprised that it was like a male and female center for youths. That surprises me. Yeah, I think they were probably held in different areas. But when Judith was released in November of 1981, she moved in with Alvin's parents in Tennessee. And Judith continued her shenanigans, robbing convenience stores, and was arrested again just one week later. So, she was released in November 1981. That's when she had her kids, right? She did have her kids, and, well, Alvin's parents had the kids. So, it was, like, shortly after she gave birth, she was released? Mm, She was released eight months after her arrest. Oh, okay. She continued to rob the convenience stores and was arrested again one week later, but she was out of jail already in March of 1982. You think she had a gun and was like, give me this pack of gum, you mother... I'm sorry, I can't give it to you. Make it red, man. (laughs) (laughs) Alvin was released in early April 1982 for good behavior. Yeah, right. It was that smile that got him. It must have been. They took their kids and were back on the road. But not before Alvin could exact his revenge on the YDC employers for, quote, raping Judith. Oh, my God. They had two cars. Judith drove a brown Dodge, and Alvin drove a red Ford Granada. I like that word, Granada. They communicated by CB, calling themselves Night Rider and Lady Sundown. Why not Boney and Claude? I don't know. <laughs> if you have names like that, why not? Yeah, why, why is not this your CD them? handle? Like, how many different names are you coming up with yourself? No, Night Rider. Was, was that show out at that time? Didn't they have a show called Night Rider? Oh, yes, they had Night Rider. Oh, Lord Jesus. And Kit was the car. These people are not creative at all. I know. They just, like, hijack other people's creativity. Yeah. Well, Lady Sundown, I don't know where she got that. Maybe that was creativity at its peak. Ah, oh, she probably saw it in a magazine. <laughs> Don't give her any credit. <laughs> Don't give her credit, she Kelly. Gets no credit. No. So, the reason they did this is because Judith was really, uh, like, Alvin loved being with Judith, but he didn't like being around her so much because she would be really, really nice, and then all of a sudden she was mean and cold. And so when they traveled separately, they communicated over the CB, and it was perfect. Like, they had the perfect relationship as long as they traveled like this. She was also a slob. 
So her, her car was like filthy. You think they were driving down the interstate together and he said something. She was like, you motherfuckers like punch him in the throat and stuff as she's driving. Or as know. he's driving, she grabs his neck and starts strangling him. <laughs> Honestly, that could have been the best thing that ever happened. So. Swerving all over the road. Yeah. But look, baby, I love you, but we cannot ride together anymore. I am not stopping and asking for directions. And you hit me every time I refuse to stop, not stop. So <laughs> I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do now. So September the 11th, 1982, Judith attempted to shoot Ken Dooley. He was an employee of the YDC. The next day, she firebombed, she firebombed sorry, the home of another YDC employee, Linda Adair. After these attacks, both Ken and Linda stated to the police that they received phone calls from a young woman who claimed to have been sexually abused at the YDC, but couldn't identify the caller's voice. How many girls claimed that they were sexually abused at the YDC? I don't think they read the letters, so they really oh. have no way to know. So Judith didn't tell the YDC Oh, no, no, no. Oh, okay. These I were, no, she these filed were, a complaint. No, she did not file a complaint. Oh, she okay. was just telling Alvin in the letters that she was writing that she and the other girls were being raped. Yeah, they had no clue. The word got out about the at the YDC about these attacks, so all employees were on high alert. In Macon, Georgia, they checked into a rundown hotel and made a plan for other YDC employees. Hmm. While Alvin was in jail, he overheard others talking about how you could actually kill someone with shots of liquid drain cleaner, and the cops would not be able to tell that it was murder. This was the plan that they were going to exact on the YDC employees. I feel like that's not true. I don't know if it's true. It's just a little off topic, but... <laughs> when I was younger, an acquaintance of mine had a pot smoking issue mm-hmm. and his parents found out about it. So they were drug testing him. So the moron looked up on Google how to get out of your system. And he read that if you drink two gallons of bleach, <gasps> you will be negative on your drug screen. Thank God his older brother caught him as he was in the middle of the first gallon of bleach. Oh and they my. rushed him to the hospital. But... He still tested positive, and he oh, almost died. God. <laughs> yeah, like, I was in freaking shock. Like, And he was, like, 16. You're old enough to know that not everything on the Internet is true. <laughs> you know. Like, he could have easily died from that if he wouldn't have gotten help immediately. Mm-hmm. Yes. You should always talk to your kids. On a daily basis, talk to them. Whether they want to or Whether not. Whether they want to or not. Find out who they are, because behind closed doors, they're a totally different little human being, I can assure you. (laughs) Yes. So, let's get back to the case. This is Mrs. Allen. Apparently, Judith had some sort of relationship with Mrs. Allen, like she trusted Mrs. Allen, because she was a YDC employee. She called her and told her that Alvin was beating her up and that she needed help. And please meet her at the hotel. Mrs. Allen said she would be there at 5.30 the next day. So I'm thinking that she had, she had to have had some kind of relationship to think that this is Mrs. Allen would show up to help her out. Yeah. Yeah. The next day, well, Judith and Allen laughed about their plan and how easy it was going to be. But the following day, a YDC employee called the hotel room and told Judith she had to go out of town, Mrs. Allen, and wouldn't be able to make it. 
So Mrs. Allen didn't call, just another employee called. Another employee called and said, oh, hey, Mrs. Allen had to leave on a business trip and she won't be able to make it today. Like, they were all so paranoid about what was going on. Yes, they were trying to kind of keep yeah. everybody close oh, to the and nest. so Judith and Alvin didn't believe her. They got in their vehicle, drove past her home, saw her car there, and shook their heads with disdain, thinking, what a liar. I was planning on murdering you, but God forbid you lie to me. Yeah. That is bullshit. I didn't lie to you when I said he was beating me or what, like, was a complete lie. Was not completely lying to you? <laughs> so after that, she called John Brownlee, another YDC employee, who Judith says always had an eye for her. Get over she, yourself, Judith. <laughs> she asked him to come meet her, but when he asked if he could bring his wife along, <laughs> Judith hung up and they devised a plan to break into his home so Alvin could rape his wife with him watching. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, I hate and these people. they decided that they would do this to all the men who worked at the YDC, just break into their houses, rape their wives, make them watch. They would never get caught. Nobody would ever yes. know. Yeah, thankfully that plan never oh, happened. Oh, God. They were unsuccessful in getting anyone else from the YDC to respond to them or unable to find them, so they decided to head back to Rome, Georgia. They really don't seem like the most intelligent criminals. No. Sadly, I... Well, I don't know. I keep saying that, but then... Yeah. You don't want to be a good... Or you don't want just people bad to people. be good criminals. Bad people. Just rotten souls. Yeah. They have plenty of time to think over their life choices. Yes. So this is the point where we get to Lisa Ann Milliken. She was 13 years old when Judith and Alvin abducted her from Rome's Riverbend Mall. Now, Riverbend Mall was also the place where Judith held the woman up at gunpoint when she was pregnant for the twins. Oh. I guess she moved faster when she wasn't pregnant. She thought she did. In Riverbend Mall, Cedartown, Georgia, on September the 25th, 1982, Lisa lived at the Ethel Harpst home. Say that fast five times. A facility for neglected, abused girls and boys. Aww. Yeah, they must have had, like, it was, it was combined, I Kind of like a foster home yeah. type thing? Shelter? Yep. Lisa was described as being a small girl with brown hair cut in a shag. And she looked like Joni Cunningham, a character from Happy Days. Oh, I you know, with the Happy fonts. Days. Yes! Hey. Hey. Yeah, the fonts. <laughs> so she looked like little Joni Cunningham, and uh, she was absolutely adorable. She had been sexually abused by her father since she was 11 years oh old. Oh, my God. And she was placed in four different foster homes, 30 days at the open door home, and then she ended up at the Epsil Harpst home. Wow, that's a lot of moving around. I know. But at 11. Poor thing. Lisa's mother was aware of the abuse and took up with a man named Slick Harris, who also took an interest in both mother and daughter. Huh. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but the name Slick right there would have thrown me. Slick Harris. Heck yeah. Yes. So Mama can pick them. Like most sexually abused children, Lisa became promiscuous. And she acted out, did poorly in school, and she was described as being a loner. Other girls in the Harps home said she had several boyfriends at the home and often got into fights over the boys. I don't think she was very popular there. Doesn't sound like it. Lisa persuaded the house parent to take the girls to the Riverbend Mall, where she would fall into the grasp of Judith and Alvin and suffer the most unimaginable things. I don't think I want you to continue. Okay, we're ending it here. 
Thank you for listening. <laughs> Upon arrival at the mall, the house parent, Gail Henderson, took the youngest of the girls with her and told the other five to stay together while shopping. They were to regroup an hour later in front of the Radio Shack. I remember Radio Shack. I do, too. I used to like that place. I think they still have some. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, that's cool. At the end of the hour, Lisa failed to show up, and the other girls said she got separated from them. They waited for her to show and then separated into teams to go looking for her. Gail called the mall security, and they searched for her as well. She called the Rome Police Department, and the officers showed up to the mall to search. They told Gail to go ahead and take the other girls home and leave the rest to the police. An official missing persons bulletin was dispatched, and the search continued. Oh, that's good that they took it seriously from the get-go. I know oh, a lot did, of times yes. back then it'd be like, oh, they ran away. You have to wait 48 hours. Right. No, yeah. That's good. Yeah, they did. Lisa fell upon Anneli's at the gaming arcade. She knew she had missed her ride home, and Judith had the twins with her. She offered Lisa a ride back to the home, and 13-year-old Lisa, not seeing any danger from a woman with twin babies, yeah, got into her car. So she, Lisa missed her ride home, so she was hiding from them when they were searching um, for them? I guess maybe whenever she went back to Radio Shack, they were gone, so maybe she... She just assumed that they had left. Like, went looking for them and fell upon Judith and said, oh, hey, they're not there. Can I get a ride home? Don't, yeah. Don't really know exactly how it transpired, but... Um, Instead of taking her home, Judith drove Lisa to a motel in Franklin, Georgia. They're still living in hotel rooms? All the time, baby. They don't have no house. That's going to be expensive. I guess they're not staying in They're like... staying in motels. Okay. Not hotels. Sorry. Hmm. So Alvin was in and out of the motel room for several hours. This drew the attention of the reception clerk. She said he was an unusually large man who would come in and out of the room to the vending machine naked to his waist with his large belly hanging over his jeans. So sexy. Man, I can just, I can envision it. Do you think the receptionist was like, look, I'm about to throw up my lunch. Can somebody please tell this dude to put his wife beater back on? Maybe she thought he was sexy. Uh, maybe you so. With that charming smile that lit up the yes, vending machine. He probably turned and looked at her in the window and Wait. gave her a grin. Ching. And her little heart just melted. <laughs> Probably. Maybe he had a bow tie and just boxers on. Mm. Getting fancy. Bow tie. No. All right. Okay. Fine. Sadly, <laughs> inside the motel room, Lisa was raped repeatedly by Judith and Alvin. Ah. She endured beatings and was tortured. She was handcuffed to the bed, made to sleep nude on the floor all night. How did nobody hear? Because you know those walls are thin. I'm sure it was like a motel with like oh. 12 rooms and maybe Probably four Probably a bunch of occupied. sketchy people. So the next morning, the Neelys, Lisa, and the twins drove to Scottsboro, Alabama, where they stayed in room 12 at the Five Points Motel. Judith beat Lisa repeatedly with a stick, and she was raped again. The next morning, she was raped again, even more brutally. After they were finished with her, she was handcuffed in the bathroom at the motel, then raped again later that day. What the fuck? I know. Alvin was 250 pounds. This was a tiny girl, 13 years old. I cannot imagine. She's probably suffocating if he was on top of her. She probably wished she would have. Yeah. So this she is was a lot. Tortured and raped by Alvin and Judith. What were they doing with their babies? For three days. The two-year-old twins were there with Judith and Alvin witnessing everything. Oh, my God. Judith later said that they were sleeping during these times, but come on. Like, Judith is full of shit. Were they Michael and them? What, what? 
That sure fine bitch is lying. That sure fine bitch has got to go. Mm-hmm. She expired. Yes. Not yet, unfortunately. She's still alive. Seriously? Yeah. <sighs> Judith was also pregnant with her third child at this time. So she's raping and beating a 13-year-old girl while she's pregnant, while her twins... The fuck is wrong with her? ...are watching. I don't know. It's so sad. Oh, God. On September 28th, Alvin and Judith decided they were done with poor little Lisa. How long do they have her? Three days. That's a, a long three days for a little girl. torture and abuse for a girl that had known nothing but torture and abuse. I wish life. somebody would have tried to stick them with Drano. Honestly. Hate them. Giving me thoughts. Just kidding. Are they still both alive? No, Alvin is dead. Okay, well, that's good. I hope yeah. he died slow and painful. I don't think he did. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> they looked for a deserted place to kill her. They drove down Highway 35 from Scottsboro to Little River Canyon in DeKalb County, Alabama. So they were in Georgia, then they went to Alabama, then they killed her in Alabama. They turned onto the scenic road following the rim of the canyon, leading to an overlook beneath a large span of power lines. Lisa was told to get out of the car and lay face down. She was told to put her arms around a nearby tree where Judith handcuffed her. Judith told her she was going to give her some medicine to make her fall asleep, and when she woke up, she would be free to go. Judith used a needle and syringe to inject Lisa in the neck with Drano and waited five minutes. What? I didn't even know you were going to say Drano. Drano. Yes, that's what I wanted to inject uh, Judith and Alvin with. Yes, I think they deserve it. My God, I think like them. That's scary. So this didn't kill her. So she injected the other side of her neck, I think with like liquid plumber, like a different drain cleaner. Yeah, so she waited another five minutes after that. She injected her four more times in both arms, both buttocks, waiting five minutes in between each dose. So for 30 minutes, this poor little girl was suffering. Like she was crying. It, It was burning her, hurting her. She was begging Judith to stop. Poor kid. I know. The coroner described the fat underneath the puncture wounds as being boiled with with the consistency of anchovy paste. What? Oh, God. I just cannot imagine how painful this must have been and just to endure it. That makes me hurt all all over. All over, yeah. I want to go home and hug my kids. Yeah, I know. It's really sad. And she had nobody to love her. That makes it worse. Yeah, it does. Lisa stated that she needed to go to the bathroom, so Judith allowed her to go to the woods and use the bathroom. And when she came back, she assumed her position, hopeful that they would let her go. Like, she she really thought that she was just giving her something to go to sleep, and she was going to be let go, you know? Was that other bitch pregnant still? Oh, yeah, she's pregnant. After the injections didn't work, Judith instructed Lisa to get up and walk around to help speed up the effect of the drug. Of course, this did not work either. What the hell? Lisa begged to be taken back to the Harps home, begging for her life. Judith is a moron. I hate her. She is unwell. Satan has a nice seat waiting right next to him for that bitch. Bitch ain't right. Mm-mm. When it became evident that Lisa wasn't going to die a speedy death, Judith walked Lisa to the edge of the canyon, making her kneel in front of her with Lisa's back facing Judith. Then Judith shot Lisa in the back. The bullet went through and through her left breast, killing her instantly. But instead of falling off the canyon like Judith hoped, she fell backwards. So Judith ended up pushing her off the rim with her knee, getting blood on her jeans. Oh, God. Poor Judith. 
Yes. Poor Judith. How's she going to get that shit out? So after beating, raping, torturing, murdering, and throwing Lisa's body off the cliff, Judith and Alvin and the twins drove to Gadsden, Alabama and had breakfast. Did they go to the IHOP? Probably. This is where she called law enforcement three times the next day to tell them that the, the corpse of a 13-year-old girl was at the bottom of their canyon. The DA said it sounded like she was bragging about it. So not only is she a hateful human being, she's also stupid for calling the police to brag about it. Like, that's a great way to get caught, dumbass. Yes. The police went out to the canyon, but they couldn't see anything. Frustrated that they didn't find her, Judith called the police again and gave them a more detailed description of where to find the body. They went back and found the location of Lisa's body on the canyon floor, crumpled over a fallen tree. So was Judith there with, like, those light things from the airplane, like, doing, like, showing the police how to get there? Like, oh, like on the runway? Yes. <laughs> the runway guy with the lights? Yes. Over here. Over here. Over, over here. here. To your left. Well, so at the bottom of the canyon, there was a lot of debris. Like, people would just throw their trash and stuff over it. So, yeah, Lisa was just dumped like she was a piece of trash. That and hurts so my heart. Whenever they went looking, uh, they didn't see anything, you know? So then they went back again, and I think it was like everybody was leaving again, and it was one guy that had flashed his light, and he actually caught a glimpse of her legs, I think, over a tree. So she was kind of like buried in trash. Well, she wasn't buried in trash, but, but just there like... was so much trash down there, and I think she was kind of like... She was slumped over a tree, so... Maybe she kind of blended in. Yeah, I think so. After they found her, I guess Judith was happy about that. On October the 4th, 1982, in Rome, Georgia, so now they're back in Georgia, just five days after the murder of Lisa Milliken, Janice Chapman and John Hancock were taking a walk. <laughs> they were approached... What's his name really? John Hancock. John Hancock. He's for real. That is amazing. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Put your John Hancock on John it. Hancock uh -huh. right here. They were approached by a vehicle with a young woman driving. She stopped and asked them for directions to Baker Street. Then she said she was lonely and wanted to know if they wanted to ride around and do something. Now, this was back in, yeah, back in the early 80s. So, I mean, there was still a lot of trust in people. That's just weird. I guess it's not the 80s anymore. So, thinking she was harmless and feeling a bit sorry for her, John and Janice agreed and got into the car with her. While riding around, Judith used her CB radio to contact Alvin, Night Rider, calling herself Lady Sundown, telling him she made some new friends and that they should meet up. I'd be like, I thought you were bored. You have friends? Like, let me out. Yeah, no You're doubt. not bored. You have a friend. Yeah, right. What is this? Yeah. But. Old Hancock. So, Alvin pulled up on a dirt road and insisted that John ride with him. The twins were in his car, so John didn't see the harm in doing so. Judith then transferred the twins to her car, putting them in the back seat, and Janice moved to the front with Judith. So did, I wonder if John was like, hey, wait, no, the twins are leaving, I'm leaving too. I was okay until you moved Until them. you moved the babies. <laughs> Why would you do that? Yeah, like as they were driving, John started to get nervous about the situation, and then he said, hey, dude, I need to pull over so we can, I, I need to pee. They headed down a rural road and stopped so John could relieve himself. John got out of the car, but Alvin didn't follow John into the woods, even though Alvin said he needed to relieve himself as well. Instead, Alvin approached Judith's car, and John overheard Alvin say, if we're going to do it, let's get it over with. What? Yeah. So Judith got out of the car, walked up to John with a pistol, ordering John to start walking in the woods. 
Meanwhile, Alvin was restraining Janice in the car. Judas stopped John about 300 feet in the woods, and John heard Alvin holler, hurry up and get it over with. Wow. Wow. That's very subtle. John asked Judith if he could ask her a question, and Judith said, hell no, keep your back to me. If I was him, I would have turned around and punched her in the throat. Man, he should have. He really should have. The last thing that Judith told John as she stood behind him was, don't worry about your girlfriend. We're going to take care of her, too. Oh, how sweet, you stupid bitch. Then Judith (laughs) shot John in his shoulder. He played dead and waited for them to leave before making his way to the road and stopping a truck driver who took him to the hospital. The next day after he was released, he went to the police station to give a statement. Janice was taken by the Neelys to a motel room in Rome, Georgia, where they raped and beat her repeatedly. The two-year-old twins again were present for this abuse. These poor kids. I can't. The next day, the Neelys took Janice to the woods and Judith shot her in the back. Horrifyingly, this did not kill Janice. Of course it didn't. uh, Judith can't kill anybody because she's a fucking moron. Yeah, she's a train wreck. She really is. I wish she'd go off the tracks. Alvin grabbed Janice, pulled her up, and put her against a tree. And Judith walked right up to her and shot her twice at point blank in her chest, ending her life. Damn. I guess she couldn't fake it because Alvin was there. He probably knew. Yeah. And I also think, I read a lot of articles that said that Janice Chapman was mentally challenged. Like, maybe she had autism or something like that. Like, she wasn't... Okay. She wasn't 100%. So, it maybe didn't... She didn't realize... Maybe it didn't occur to her just, to yes, pretend like I'm dead. Play dead. But, I mean, if, honestly, if somebody shot me in the leg or the back or the big toe, I don't know that I could play dead. Yeah, I think I like, look and be like, what the fuck are you that's doing? That's going to hurt. That's going to leave a mark. Like, why would you do this? <gasps> so it's easy for us to say, oh, you should have played dead. Yeah, I would have been like Will Ferrell on uh, Talladega Nights when he stabs himself in the leg with a fork, and he's like, ah, ah, and points to it again. <laughs> yes, that's what I would be doing if they shot me. <laughs> yes. And they'd be like, ah. well, she's clearly not dead. She's still screaming like an idiot. <laughs> Okay. Oh, gosh. All right. So, while John was waiting at the police station to make his report, he happened to overhear Judith's voice on a recording because detectives were actually going over the YDC shooting and firebomb attempts, and they had recordings of Judith calling in. Oh, my God. This woman. He walked into the detective's office and he said, The woman on that tape, that's the woman who shot me. That's crazy. That is a really big coincidence. Absolutely. It's a great coincidence, but that's just like, what are the odds that would happen? Yep. So Judith was arrested on October the 9th in Murfreesboro, Tennessee for check fraud. Man, gas must have been really cheap. They're going all over the South. Everywhere. Alvin was arrested October the 13th. While in custody, the investigators uncovered incriminating evidence linking them to the additional crimes such as the attacks on the YDC employees, the murders of Lisa Ann Milliken and Janice K. Chapman, and the shooting of John Hancock. So did Alvin leave Judith after she was arrested? Oh, he- Since he was arrested four days later? Hey, Lady Sundown, let me know when you're out. 10-4 over and out. <laughs> <laughs> When she had her one phone call, do you think instead of making a phone call, she's like, do I have a CB radio? (laughs) I don't know how to use a phone. I don't know how to use a phone right now. 
My husband doesn't have a hotel yeah. room right now, so I don't know where to call him at. <laughs> I don't know. He's not at the Five Points Motel anymore. <laughs> room 12 is unoccupied. On October the 14th, they revealed where Janice Kay's body was. John Hancock said in an interview with WZDX on Fox 54, I live in the twilight zone, reliving the same moment over and over in time. Every single day, I think about Janice Kay. I think about what has happened in my life. Everybody needs to know what kind of a monster that woman really is. If I compared her to anyone, it would be Alabama's version of Charlie Manson. Yeah, I couldn't imagine knowing you escaped and your girlfriend was murdered by the same people you escaped from. There was nothing you could do about it. That's got to be horrific. Yeah. That would be a lot to try to deal with. Yeah, I know. It was also during this time that Alvin told police that Judith killed more than two people. He started trying to pin everything on Judith, and he said she told him she had done this before and showed him newspaper clippings of unsolved murders in Albany, Columbus, and Chattanooga. She couldn't even drive when she met him. I I wonder, well, that's what I'm thinking. Well, maybe it was while he was in jail. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe she used his Granada. Granada. The Granada. He said that that's the thing with Judy. She has to have control. That's the thing with Judy. She's a fucking psycho. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Even after the years in prison, he denied having anything to do with killing Lisa or Janice. He said Judith had some sort of rage inside her. He said she was always mad, but I could never figure out why. Let me guess. He was scared of her. I think he was. I think he was actually the submissive one in the, in the relationship. <laughs> um, he told them one body was near Milgeville. <laughs> That's a mouthful of a name. What state is that in? Georgia, I think. If you are from Milgeville, Georgia, can you, please, <laughs> can you please tell us how to pronounce your town's name? <laughs> Thank you. The Rome detectives couldn't find anything in the large kudzu field he described. The police were convinced that Alvin and Judith were probably responsible for other murders, but all that information died with Alvin, and Judith hadn't been forthcoming with information. Imagine that. I wonder if they took DNA from either one of them, if they could, like, compare it to any unsolved cases. I hope so. I love when they solved unsolved cases. Same. Or cold cases. Yeah. Makes me happy. Makes me very happy. Like, they think they got away with it, but 70 years later, bam! We found you. We got you. Mm-hmm. You're not as slick as you thought you were. That's right. Old man. <laughs> I'm going to beat you with your cane. <laughs> and then you feel bad because they're really super old. <laughs> to avoid the death penalty, Alvin pled guilty to the murder and aggravated assault of Janice Chapman in Georgia. He was not tried for the Milliken murder. What? I think that was like the plea that he took. He was sentenced to life imprisonment at the Bostick State Prison from 1983 until his death at the age of 52 on October 2005 from surgical complications. So he was under anesthesia when he passed away. Do you think the doctor did it on purpose? I would never make that claim. Yeah. But. If he did, I would high five him. I'm kind of pissed that he died under anesthesia. He was only 52. Like he barely served any time in prison. I know. He didn't suffer at all. He should have suffered a lot more. Before Judith's trial, she was given a psychiatric evaluation. 
She was found to be of sound mind. Okay, good. Showed no sign of being delusional or having hallucinations. She was intelligent and free of obvious organic impairment and showed good memory. So she was just fucking crazy. Just a crazy biatch. <sighs> there was no reason to believe she was out of touch with reality or unable to confirm her actions to the requirements of the law. Days before her trial, Judith gave birth to her and Alvin's third child. Oh, I forgot she was pregnant again. Yes, right. But I couldn't find any information about the baby, where it went, how it happened. Like, where is the baby? I really hope the baby was, like, given to a different family, not related to her at all, and has no idea who I his parents are. I think it must are. have been because I can't find anything on the third child. The trial began on March 7th, 1983 in Fort Payne, Alabama, for the torture and murder of Lisa Milliken. Her defense attorney, Robert French, Bob... Portrayed, uh uh-uh, portrayed her from going to Rutherford County Junior High School cheerleader to a battered wife. Oh, my God. We all know she was beating up Alvin. She probably was. One of the witnesses for the defense was Alvin's ex-wife, Joanne Browning. She testified that Alvin had beat her over 800 times, even when she was pregnant and even drugged, and tried to rape her teenage sister, Oh, my God. She claimed that she had tried to leave him several times, but that he would threaten their children. So she was probably all pumped up whenever he found a new victim and he divorced her. She probably gladly divorced him. Like, yes, where do I sign? I will do it right now. But uh, the prosecutor, Igu, and I hope I'm saying that right, I-G-O-U. Igu. Or Igu. Igu. Like Igor? Igu? Yeah, like Pointed that out that Joanne remarried before her divorce was final to Alvin, making her a bigamist and a liar. Maybe she really just didn't like Alvin. Right? I mean, they'd been separated because he'd already split with... He was with another a woman. A 15-year-old girl. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so... Anyway, that <sighs> happened. Can't take it back. Look, even if Alvin did beat Judith, she still murdered people. Sorry oh, you yeah, got beat, did. but yeah. you're a murderer. Right. That has nothing to do with what's going on right now. But had absolutely no sympathy or empathy. Yeah. And having a, a child beg you and you're just like, shut up, we're going to do the same thing. Like, unfortunately, like, there's thousands of women that are beat by their spouse or significant other all the time. But they are not going out raping and murdering mm-hmm. 13-year-olds. Mm-hmm. That's not an excuse for what she did. Mm-mm. Igu further tried to uh, prove that... There was no credibility to Alvin's ex-wife saying that she was beat over 800 times because she never had a broken bone. Joanne left the stand in tears and angry. But I have to say, to discredit anyone claiming to have been abused, never having broken bones is not okay. No. Like, he probably hit her in ways that wouldn't break bones. Hit him in the stomach. They're not going to, nobody's going to see that they're bruised there. They can cover it up. Like how are you, I don't know, that would make me mad at the prosecutor. Like, you're going to go after yeah. a woman that says she was beat? That ain't right. Like, no. That ain't right. Mm-mm. So, Judith stated that after a year of romance and kindness, Alvin changed, becoming more selfish and violent. She said, I was just a piece of meat to him. I wasn't a person. I kind of feel like Alvin was a piece of meat to her. Mm-hmm, I think so. She said that he was. she was his servant. She bathed him, combed his hair... Cooked for him and tied his shoes. I mean, people do cook for their husbands. I I would never bathe my husband unless he really needed me to, like if he was sick or broken. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was thinking like sexy time. Well, I mean, of course that. Yeah, for that. Yeah. But (laughs) I cook for him. Yeah. I don't think I would want anybody else to bathe me just like on a normal basis. Like I want to make sure I get everything. Yeah. If he had hair, I'd comb it. 
If he had if a broken arm. If he had chest hair, would you comb his chest hair? I do comb his you chest do. hair. You do. I do. I like oh, it. Oh, that's true. You Sometimes shave I shapes it. into it. <laughs> shave my name Super into flip. it. flip. This is my man's, okay? <laughs> Property of Kelly. That's right. <laughs> oh, gosh. Judah said that Alvin introduced her to robbery and forgery and that he was insanely jealous without cause. Now, that statement, I do believe. Yeah. Because she was in no way, shape, or form. I mean, she wanted to be a nurse. She was in 4-H. She was in all the things. Yeah, how do you go from wanting to be she, a nurse to wanting to murder people? She didn't people? want to live the life of corruption and, and disparity that she was living. So, she did want more for her life. She didn't do a very good job of getting more. And she met Alvin. She was so. on the right track. I do believe that. She also stated that it was Alvin's idea for her to write the allegations of sex abuse at the YDC. Alvin is yeah, not that smart. Brightest color in the crayon box. No, he's like She claimed everything was done at his command, but Eager, the prosecutor, says it was quite the contrary. Judith told him what to do. She would pretend to be crying dropping her head each time until Igu asked the judge to order her to pick her head up and she was completely dry eyed. Not a single tear was shed for any of the horrific things she did. So Judith is not an actress either. Mm. She's not a good person and she can't act. she was caught. No. No regret. No remorse. She's just evil. Igu called in a psychiatrist to confirm that Judith knew the difference between right and wrong, which he did. When Bob French tried to cross-examine the doctor, he tried to get him to say that Judith had been brainwashed, but the doctor refused to agree. High five, doctor. High five. (laughs) (laughs) In Igu's closing argument to the jurors, he stated, Judith planned, carried out, and enjoyed her crimes. Agree. Alvin didn't have the nerve, but she did. That was Judith Neely. It was evil, evil. I somewhat agree. I feel like Alvin and Judith, like fed off of each other. Yes, exactly. Like, I don't think he should have gotten off any less than she did. They should have had the exact same sentence. Even if he took a plea deal, he's still solitary confinement for the rest of your life. The trial lasted for six weeks, and jurors found 18-year-old Judith Ann Neely guilty. She was only 18? 18, yes. Wow. And pregnant. Oh, my gosh. And recommended she be sentenced to life in prison without parole. Good call. On April the 18th, 1983, Circuit Judge Randall Cole decided that while Judith had been young, she was also brazen and cruel. He thought the crime had been heinous and atrocious beyond that, which is common to most capital cases, and made the decision not to follow the jury's recommendation, but sentenced her to death by the electric chair, making Judith at 18 the youngest woman sentenced to death in the United States. Dang. Dang. That is crazy. Crazy. Frabbage. High five, judge. Yeah. So this was the only time that Judith actually cried real tears. <laughs> yeah, she's she sorry was, for herself. Uh, yeah, she was very sad then. She was placed on Alabama's death row at the Julia Tutwiler Prison for Women. Don't worry, Judith. They're not going to inject you with Drano f- over 30 minutes. I wish. Not wanting a second death sentence in another state, she pled guilty to the kidnap and murder of Janice Chapman in Tennessee and received another life sentence. For the shooting of John Hancock, she received an additional 10 years. So you shoot somebody and you only get 10 years? Well, she's got two life sentences. I guess so. He survived, so. It's sad. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, to me, if you try to kill anybody that's innocent, then you should get life. Why should you be let go ever? 
So when I was younger and they would say like a hundred years in prison or something like yeah. that, I thought that whenever you died, your body stayed in prison <laughs> for however much longer you had. And That's your purgatory. And then yeah. if your family wanted to, after a hundred years, they could come and get you. Oh my God. Come get the body, please. Yeah. It's like, I thought this until the sentence like is a few up now. years ago. <laughs> That's terrible. I just figured out that that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. No, no, no. No. So that was uh, April of 1983. In August of 1984, a woman told Murfreesboro police that that she had been abducted two years ago and recently come across her picture in a newspaper, and that woman was Judith Neely. The woman went by the street name of Casey and was the final victim Judith had picked up prior to her arrest. Oh, she escaped. I guess. Well, hang on, listen. Okay. So Casey said that Judith bragged about her crimes, claiming she killed a girl in Chattanooga, among others, just like Alvin said. Huh. And she had newspaper clippings documenting all of this. Judith told her she liked to see the look on people's faces when she pulled a gun on them. Oh, my God. Like a scrapbook. I guess. she the This uh, woman is crazy. Yeah, the woman. That bitch ain't well. That bitch is not well. The next morning when Judith was arrested, Alvin held Casey at, at gunpoint in the bathroom until the police left and then let Casey go. Why? So. Was Judith not there? And that's why Alvin Judith, let her go? Okay, Judith was arrested at the motel. Oh. And she they had already had Casey in the bathroom, like in the in the motel with them. So the police didn't search the they room. They didn't search the room. Oh god. So Alvin was in the bathroom with Casey holding her at gunpoint. Oh my god. Where were the twins? Don't know. <laughs> They're probably in the bathroom in the bathroom with them. So she's trying to pin all this on Alvin, but Alvin's the one that let Casey go. So, yeah. If it was Judith holding her at gunpoint in there, she'd have driven her off and killed her. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's, that's just my thought. I don't know. I agree. I completely agree with that. Yes. In March of 1987, Judith appealed for a new trial, but it was declined. Thank God. Her attorneys exhausted all federal and state judicial means to challenge her sentence with no success. Hallelujah. Why would you want to be her attorney? Well, there's... Just defense attorneys. Yeah. They defend a lot of sick, sick individuals. individuals. So that's just their job. Judith and Alyssa Diane Wall met through Frank Sanders, a former friend of Judith's. Alyssa was Frank's daughter. Now wishing he'd never made the introduction, <laughs> he calls Judith manipulating and controlling, which most people do. So mm-hmm. seems to Judith, go with her personality. Yes. Judith and Diane started a love affair after Judith's imprisonment, communication through letters and phone calls, and death row visits. Oh, my gosh. In 1994, they made a suicide pact. As part of the plan, they both wrote letters to Diane's father, Frank, who was on hospice in the final stages of AIDS. Oh, my gosh. Hi, Dad. I love you. By the way, I'm about to kill myself. Oh, he said the letters were, like, hateful and bitter, just to let him know that he couldn't stop them from being together now, that they would... Be together for all eternity. You'll never be together because she's in prison for life. And no, you're not. Like through the suicide pact. Oh. Then they would be together for all eternity. Diane was found dead in her home with a shotgun wound to her neck. It's a weird spot to shoot yourself. Kind of. Well, she probably slipped. 
Investigators found a cassette tape with Diane and Neely on the recording, describing their plans for a suicide pact and detailing what should be done with their remains. So let me guess, Judith was probably at the jail eating a steak right now and been like, oh, that's unfortunate. She really did oh, kill no. herself? No. Oh, no. She, okay. Okay. She shallowly tried to slit her wrists. They oh, ran to check God. her cell, and she was laying there with very... Very shallow slashes in her wrist. Oh, I fell. Oh, it hurts. <laughs> well, she did it with a disposable razor. Now, I didn't think they were allowed to have razors, but... Yeah. Well, whatever. That's that's what they say. Maybe. That's the news on the street. <laughs> January 15th, 1999, just days away from her execution, Governor Fob James commuted her sentence to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 15 years, meaning she would be eligible for parole in 2014. Oh, okay. So is she going to go hang out with Lisa, who's never going to be eligible for life because the bitch snuffed her life out at 13 years old? Or Janice. Or Janice. Or however, and, however many else she killed. And John Hancock, who probably still has nightmares about mm-hmm. this. Yep. You know what? She should go and hang out with the governor and see what happens. For tea? Yes. Maybe she should have she tea should with the governor. Have some tea with the governor. It's probably got Drano in it. Oh. You might not want to drink it. <laughs> probably. So Judith requested a parole hearing in 2001, but the board denied that request and reiterated its position that she wouldn't be eligible for parole until January of 2014. Shortly after that denial, she filed an action in state court seeking a judicial declaration that she was eligible for parole consideration because she had already served 16 years on death row. Mm -hmm. The court denied her. Thank God. Denied! (laughs) Finding that she would be eligible for parole consideration only after serving 15 years of her commuted sentence. Bam! Start over from zero. (laughs) In 2003, though, four years after Governor James commuted Judith's death sentence, the Alabama legislator passed and Governor Bob Riley signed the Act of 2003-300. The Act omitted Alabama Code Section 15-22-27B to read as follows. Any person whose sentence to death has been commuted by the governor shall not be eligible for parole. Yes. That change was made retroactive to September 1st, 1998, four months before Governor James commuted Miss Neely's sentence. Side note, Judith Neely was the only person whose death sentence was commuted between September 1998 <laughs> and the Act's passage in 2004. So I guess the governor was having some doubts about what he did. I guess. Well, this is a different governor. Oh, okay. This is Bob Riley. Oh, okay. That so was, they... The other one was Fobbs, James Fobbs. So, as of July 10th, 2015, Judith Neely is the first and only inmate to have had a death sentence commuted by an Alabama governor since July 4th, 1962. I hope they didn't elect him for a second time. <laughs> Her parole request was denied in 2014 due to the act passed by Governor Bob Riley. High five, Bob. High five, Bob. Eventually, a federal judge ruled that the law was unconstitutional. And Judith was eligible for parole in 2018. Oh my gosh. However, on May 23rd, 2018, Judith requested to cancel her parole. She stated that she was grateful for the opportunity to demonstrate how much God has changed her heart and life over the past 36 years. 
She knows now that it's not the right time, and in order to spare the Milliken family the pain and trauma of having to attend the hearing, she has agreed to waive her right and be considered for parole at that time. She will continue to pray daily for God's forgiveness and for peace with the Milliken family. Wow. Yeah. That was very mature. So recently, actually, on May 25th, 2023, Judith became eligible for parole again. Eight people testified at the hearing against the parole for now 59-year-old Judith Neely. There were no attorneys or advocates for Judith, and within 23 minutes, the board unanimously denied her parole once again. Damn! She will be eligible for parole again in May of 2028. However, even if she were paroled, the state of Georgia still has a retainer warrant pending for consecutive life sentence for the murder of Janice Chapman, plus 10 years for the shooting of John Hancock. Ha, huh, so if she like walks out on parole, they can go grab her and throw her in prison in Georgia? Yeah. <laughs> Suck it, Judith. That was a very good one. I don't like them at all. I don't like them either. I really don't. They're very unwell. Yeah, it was a really sick one. It is. So, that's the story of Judith Ann Neely. We appreciate you listening to our very first podcast, and we hope that you will join us again. We'll be back next week with an all-new story about bitches who are unwell.